You're listening to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Podcast, a weekly show of our Sunday sermons that give you a way to connect with God, grow in faith, and find wholeness. Thanks for joining us. Here's the message. Today I want to talk to you about Jesus. Big surprise, right? Um, Well, I want to talk about the real Jesus because often what gets in the way are sort of fake Jesuses, the non-real Jesus, Jesus that we've invented. And uh, we, we know maybe all too clearly that sometimes the, the real Jesus can be staring you directly in the face and you can still miss him. And as I talk today, I, I want you to ask this question. What could be standing in the way of me seeing Jesus as he is? See, we're all coming from different faith perspectives. Some of us are completely out of the faith. Some of us have been Christians for years. And um, in America, it's sort of hard to miss Jesus. I mean, there's so much Christianity in America that it's hard not to have some concept of who Jesus is. Maybe it's his reputation based on his followers, or maybe you thought he was maybe a good teacher, or possibly some legend some mixture of fact and fiction. Or perhaps you would even describe Jesus in the terms of being a healer or even a savior. But why does it matter? Why, why does this matter how we see Jesus? Well, I think it's really important because seeing Jesus as he really is really affects the way we treat ourselves and the way we treat other people. See, encountering the real Jesus may be the difference between being healed or staying hurt. So today, this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at a story in the book of Mark, uh, written by an ancient Jewish author. His name is Mark. Um, First, we're going to try and understand what the text is saying. And then uh, I'm going to just offer a few observations, observations about what I think is going on there and what it means for us. But... As we go, I want you to remember that question. How am I seeing Jesus right now? What could be in the way of me seeing Jesus as he really is? Okay, we're going to look at Mark chapter 6. And we're going to start here with verse 1. So here's, here's what it says. He went away from there and he came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joses, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Okay, back up to verse 1. There's, I, I want to give you a picture of what the landscape looked like in, in Jesus' hometown. Um, he was from Nazareth, where the story takes place. And Nazareth was, um, it was a bit outside of what you would call maybe the good, good part of town. It's dirty, not a lot of trees. Mostly stone, and, and that's part of how Jesus made his living. Jesus was known um, as a tecton. A 
a tectone, rather. Um, he, it was translated as carpenter often, but it could have meant a variety of different things. He was working with wood, maybe, but also more likely working with stone. Um, there was a, a variety of different masonry skills that tectones worked with. And so uh, most of these laborers in tectones were from Nazareth, and they probably worked on building projects in Sephoris, maybe an hour's walk away from Nazareth. And so if you can imagine what it would have been like to be a laborer working like that in the dirt and stone and how his hands must have looked. Ruddy, dirty, sun-baked hands, maybe full of different cuts and bruises. And see, Jesus leaves this, this place, his hometown, uh, it's sometime in his 20s, and he's baptized by his cousin and begins his ministry as a rabbi. Luke's account of Jesus' life says, after this time in the wilderness, he goes back to Nazareth, Nazareth for the first time, and they love him so much they want to uh, throw him off a cliff. And then uh, after that first uh, very successful journey back to Nazareth, he comes back the second time with his disciples, you know, and I kind of imagine him sort of bringing his students along and showing them maybe places where he helped build and um, maybe recounting some of the ways in which it was a difficult project here or worked with his brothers or his cousins here. And um, this is the kind of Jesus that the people of Nazareth would have known. A day laborer, somebody whose family they would have known. Even in the best circumstances, Jesus had, I don't know, a rather scandalous past. Raised by a single mom, because his father died young when he was young. And... Um, What's interesting about this passage, too, is the way in which the crowd refers to Jesus. You see, it's a very, um, what I would call, patriarchal society uh, at the time. So you were always identified by who your daddy was. Um, but that's not how they respond to Jesus. That's not how they identify him. They say, this is Mary's boy. And that would have been a little bit of a slap in the face. I think may have been not so subtle way of saying, yeah, this guy may be an illegitimate boy raised by a single mom. And um, they're comparing him to his other brothers who all stayed in town, probably doing the same sort of work. And so they're trying to square the identity that they know from his time in their hometown, to this other rabbi who's gone to Jerusalem, who's gone all over this place, and he's been known to be this healer, this person who is doing miracles. But what they find in him is this really offensive person. So let's continue. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. 
And Mark goes on to say here in verse 5, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So what I want to show you is that Mark is doing something very provocative here in arranging this sort of beautiful reversal uh, with the story of Jesus. You see, in the previous chapter, Mark writes about a couple of um, scandalous healings that Jesus um, does. Uh, He heals this woman who is unclean, ostracized before helping this high-powered leader. He helps the ostracized woman. And before that, he helps this man who is like, has been demon-possessed, and he's from the wrong side of the lake, if you know what I mean. Yet, each one of these people leaves healed. Or the word is sozo, as it's translated in the Greek, which also means saved, rescued from danger. And this, this is like Messiah talk. This is something in the cultural narrative of the Jewish mind at the time was something that was said of the, the true king, the one who was going to come back and finally rescue all of the people from the oppressive regime there in, in Israel. And, uh, but he's not saving the right people in the right way. Each healing as it turns out, is this subversive act. A slap in the face of the way people think about justice and the way people perceive themselves as right and good. And see, in the end, Jesus lets them see him the way they want to. And they saw Jesus in the way that they had invented So the people in Nazareth are operating on the beliefs that were told to them about Jesus and Jesus' family and Jesus' brothers. And that locks them into this particular narrative of who this person is and what this person can do. And uh, they just think about his socioeconomic background, his geography. He's from the sticks. He's from Nazareth. And um, this, as it turns out, is a real feature of privilege. It's something... We do. We kind of put our brains, uh, put people in easy categories so we can get on with our life. And we just kind of get good, bad, criminal, uh, good person. Uh, We do that really, really quickly. But it often turns out with very tragic results. And the tragedy here is that Jesus lets people have their own story of him. Um, It's interesting that actually from another another book called The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Uh, he writes of um, a place called Greytown. Uh, MacDonald, who is the, um, the protagonist of that book, he's there in the Valley of Shadow of Light, and his guide, MacDonald, shares this with him. He says, There are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. And then he quotes Jesus here. He says, those who seek, find. To those who knock, the door is opened. So if it's there, if it's always available for us, 
What is keeping us from seeing Jesus as he is? Well, I want to make two suggestions here. The first is that what keeps us from seeing Jesus as he is, is our certainty in our experiences. Our certainty in our experiences. Um, Even though the translation of Hebrews 11 would say that the definition of faith is being confident in what we uh, hope for and certain of what we cannot see, uh, I, I think that sometimes certainty can create more obfuscation than clarity. See, in my story of connecting with Jesus and encountering Jesus, I, I look at it as a very good story. I have a lot of warm feelings of my, what, what would be called the conversion story. Um, being at a retreat in YMCA in, in Estes Park and having this mystical moment when I felt Jesus really saw me and knew me and invited me into a deeper story. And, and around me was this great community of belonging. Friends that loved me and cared for me. Many of whom, I mean, I'm still in relationship with on a regular basis. Every week, actually. Sometimes we're, we're texting still these high school friends of mine um, from my youth group growing up in Greeley, Colorado. Um, but the trouble with that, it's not that it's... I mean, that's a good thing, right? But the problem is sometimes we can be led astray by nostalgia, which is, uh, it's actually the combination of two words in Latin, both meaning um, home and woe, nostros and algos, danger and grief. Known as, it's not something sweet, It's something dangerous. And what could be dangerous about that? It's because our certainty can sometimes lead us and create barriers between uh, our, our invented story and reality. And not only good ideas, not only good experience can get in the way, but even our disappointments, our cold disappointments of religion can also get in the way. And we've all been there, I'm sure. Uh, If we're honest We've had some disappointment with God in our life. Um, just to be real with you right now, I'll, I'll confess, like, um, I've been pretty cynical recently. Um, but cynicism is a form of certainty. I'm fighting the cynicism in my life as I'm, I'm reading the story. I'm reading a book called The Warmth of Other Suns. And uh, it, it chronicles the, the history of the Great Migration from World War I until the 1970s of black Americans that are leaving the South into the rest of the, trying to flee the South to see if they can find freedom, hope, um, safety in the rest of the country. And they don't really find it. And I'm also in a class uh, for the Disciples of Christ, uh, uh, the history and polity of the Disciples of Christ, Christian churches, and I am also finding the same thing there, where I was hoping to see that the church in our history might behave differently, and quite honestly, I can't find good examples. There are more examples of white supremacy than Christ supremacy in our history. There's more manifest destiny and, lo- and less love made manifest. Even the shining examples that were provided by the advancing the quality, the equality reek of this condescending 
paternalism. And it makes me cynical. Thankfully, uh, my certainty was challenged as I watched the, the memorial service for John Lewis. He was a man of joy as uh, our president, uh, uh, former president Barack Obama um, gave in his sermon, which, by the way, if you haven't seen that sermon, like, I don't know, turn off this video right now, go watch it. I'll still be here when you get back, um, but you have to watch that. It's incredible. Um, he, anyway, he calls him this man of joy, facing many trials of many kinds and being oppressed but not broken. You see, I'm convinced that Mr. Lewis met the real Jesus and was healed and became a healer to other relationships and, and maybe even to our country in a time that it really needed. Stories like his shake my cynicism. Okay, so the second thing that gets in the way of seeing Jesus is our commitment to the kingdoms that we create. Our commitment to the kingdoms that we create. When Jesus came to Nazareth, people were offended. Not because he was healing people or doing miracles. No, it's because he was preaching. And his message was that of repentance. It was an invitation into the kingdom of God. He was messing around with people's politics and religion and families. Challenging the stories that people were using to bring identity and meaning to their life. He was saying there's a, an alternative spiritual, social, and political kingdom that is here and asserts itself as a higher authority, higher than Rome, higher than the Sanhedrin, which was the, the, the um, spiritual apparatus at the time, even higher than the social pecking order. And today, the kingdom of God is competing for your allegiance as well. And Mark is making this case in the Bible that Jesus is worthy of the highest allegiance. But this means trouble for the kingdoms that we are running. See, we're all running our own little kingdoms. I mean, think about where do you place yourself in relationship to your racist family member? Your anti-masker conspiracy theorist friends? Where do you put yourself in relation to them? What about your own little Facebook echo chamber? Your own little Facebook kingdom? Admit it. Admit it. There's just a small piece of you that feels good that you get it. And you're not like them. Yeah. Trust me, I'm preaching to me. You see, I, I have friends in other churches and, um, and they were not taking the pandemic as seriously as I thought they should take it. And you know what? When an outbreak hit their church and people got sick, there was my self-righteousness had a big boost that day. It kicked into high gear when I heard about it. So it is real for me. I've created my own little kingdom that cannot coexist with the kingdom of God. But see... 
The beautiful thing about this story is that in Nazareth, um, not everyone leaves without being healed. Not everyone sticks with their invented version of Jesus. The passage says so, that there were few who were able to see him for who he was, and they were rescued and healed. See, Jesus wants to run your kingdom. He wants to bring justice and peace and healing And he wants to rescue you from the damage you're creating to yourself and to other people through your petty kingdoms. He wants you to show, he wants to show you that forgiveness makes a better kingdom. He wants to show you that investing in spiritual relationships over another hour on Netflix makes a better kingdom. He wants to tell you that compassion and surrendering that money that you're stressed out about to end slavery in the world makes a better kingdom. And if we choose to hold on to that commitment to our own kingdom we've built, we will miss out on the joy and intimacy that sozo in our lives, that that rescue, that healing. But there is a cost. I'll be honest with you. There is a big cost. Might have to admit that you've been wrong. Um, you might have to confess. You might have to make amends, even. I don't know. You might have to be okay with somebody being angry with you or making somebody anxious. And, um, I don't know, monuments might have to fall. I, 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 I want to tell you, I was like, I remember when, in, it, it, after the, or during the Iraq war, you know, watching in Baghdad as crowds were pulling down the statues of Saddam Hussein and to think that the same thing could happen in my country where people were pulling down idols and statues of oppressors, it blows my mind. And thinking, that's really changed my concept of the country that I live in. Now, I I will make a disclaimer here. I don't endorse criminal behavior. Um all the time. (laughs) I don't know what to say there. Um, There are some things that have to change. But here is the good news. You do not have to pretend anymore. You don't have to pretend anymore. The healing begins when you join Jesus in reality. And I believe that Jesus lives in reality. Now, we don't always live in reality, but Jesus is reality. That is where a relationship begins. Not in the past, not in the future, in the present. And here is why I think letting go of that certainty and those petty kingdoms, uh, this is why I think it will work, okay? Because, um, well, one example I would have from is, is from my marriage. When I was younger in my marriage, I had this impossible standard in my head of, of keeping uh, up with in my relationship. I thought it, my marriage needed to be a Christian marriage. Um, I, think, I thought I needed to have all the right answers. Um, I needed to be the protector of the women in my life. And these things are all fine. They're, they're, they're fine. But I depend, they depended far too much on me being the authority. And when I finally failed at that, the kindness and grace of my wife, my partner, began to dismantle the story of my inerrancy and open the door to intimacy and trust. 
A world where, yes, I could be wounded, but I could also be healed. And you simply cannot be healed if you do not admit that you're sick. Jesus said that too, just a few chapters earlier in Mark 2. He says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So if you don't need healing in your life today, I'm sorry that I wasted all your time today. But if, like me, you are helplessly aware of how messed up things are and how you feel powerless to fix it, ask yourself, how am I seeing Jesus right now? See, if you are in a place today and and you think, I want to be well. I'm sick of living like this. I'm sick of living with my own kingdom. I just have one suggestion. Just try this out this week. Can you just think of one thing, one thing you can do in the next two weeks that is different from something you've already tried? That could mean praying. That could be honestly speaking with God and saying, Jesus, I want to see the real you. That's a question, that's a request that Jesus always answers. You might need to disengage. So praying might be something you do, but you may need to disengage. Something John Lewis actually said that uh, I watched this week was how effective disengaging from evil is. How, how, How are you affected by, are you getting sucked into those fruitless arguments? Reading the that blog, watching that video, things that kind of make you mad and they steal your center of joy and you can't do anything about it. Maybe you might need to disengage from that. But then maybe you might need to engage. Maybe you've been floating a little bit on just liking that post, sharing that article or whatever, but you haven't maybe committed some piece of your bank account to that cause that you believed in. Maybe you do have an idea that somebody is doing something really good, but you haven't gotten skin in the game. Maybe it's time for you to get engaged. Maybe there is a book that you need to read. Maybe you need to listen. You could pray, you can disengage, you can engage, or you can listen. Maybe there's a book. Maybe there's a conversation. Maybe there's a friend that you know that you want to find out what their experience is. Maybe you need to do that. And if you really, really want to take it to the next level, now I, I totally get it if not everybody's there, but this is like extra points. You could put your decision in the comments. Ooh. Get the community involved. I promise you, if you do that, somebody from Mission Gathering will follow up with you this week. I promise you. Because we believe that it takes all of us to continue moving and getting healthier, growing together. So, how are you seeing Jesus? How are you accepting that invitation from him into reality? Thank you for listening to the Mission Gathering Thornton Message Podcast. You can watch our weekly services on Facebook Live every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And to learn more about joining a group or serving with us, visit our website at mgthornton.org.